switching it up, coming from the other side of the stage today, feeling crazy. Uh, I gotta keep you guys guessing, you know. Uh, hey, how are you guys doing? Good morning. Uh, yeah, that's great. I like that. I like that energy. Um, man, you guys are competitive. <laughs> I had a. Uh, you guys made me like anxious. I was watching you play that game, and I was like, well, "Don't press the buzzer." Okay, they did it again. All right, nice. <laughs> Uh, but I love it. I love it. Uh, man, this is my last time sharing with you all and for the week. And I just want to say how wonderful it has been. I'm so thankful for this opportunity. Um, can you guys just like, can you give it up for like the band and the staff and just say thank you? And then I want you to point to your counselor and I want you to say, thank you, I love you, yell it. <laughs> They're awesome, they didn't have to be here, they are here, they are awesome. And this week has been such a gift to me too. I've enjoyed all the times I've gotten to talk with you all, talk with your counselors, I'm thankful for this opportunity. And uh, they're telling me that, man, you guys have, have been just having awesome conversations. Um, and that's, that's my heart. You know, I don't want you to take my word for it. And I don't want you to take their word for it. I want you to listen to wise counsel. That's part of life. People who you trust tell you things in trusted relationship that you should weigh. But man, I am so encouraged that you guys are actually wrestling with these big questions. Because what else is worthy of your time? What else out there requires this much of you. Um, and if you're gonna say that someone is the Lord of your life, that requires a lot. And you better mean it. And so, man, I, I would just love to celebrate with you guys too some of the things that God did uh, last night. You know, I talked to some of you, made some first-time commitments for the Lord, and I'm just, I'm thankful for that. Can we just give a, you know... Give that, that celebration clap, you know, a little smattering of that. I like that. And a lot of you just said, look, I just, I needed to re-up a relationship with the Lord. I needed to just make sure that we were good. And that's awesome. And then some of you are just still in that questioning. And I love it. God is not afraid of your questions in no way. And I, I'm, man, keep processing. Keep asking these things. Like I said, what better things to ask. And so by way of introduction, I just want to tell you guys a story. I met a man um, quite some time ago who spent 16 years in prison for something he did not do. Pretty rough situation, right? In fact, he was on what we call death row because they thought he had murdered several people, wrongfully accused and what was amazing was after 16 years on death row, when DNA evidence started becoming a thing, he was what's called exonerated. They tested his evidence up against his DNA, up against the DNA that they had collected at the crime scene, it didn't match. And he was freed from that prison cell that he had lived in, those walls that kept him in for 16 years. But here's the deal. He moved, 
You know, he was in the rehabilitation process, meaning like he was trying to figure out how to put his life back together after it had been ripped apart. And when this happens, there are funds that are given to people. And um, I don't know if this is always a thing, but he was given a fund. He actually had money and means to put his life back together. He got an apartment, one-bedroom apartment. Obviously, he wasn't married at this time. He didn't have kids before he went into jail. I think he was like barely 19 when he went into jail. And uh, man, what you think like you spent most of your youth in your prime years or whatever in jail, what would you do, right? You had money, you had things, just say, what would you do? Where would you go? Disneyland, spend, like maybe buy some fancy things, right? Shoes, start your shoe collection, go to Hawaii, go on a trip. You know what he told me he did? He said he stayed home. He said he was terrified of the world a world that he had never lived in, one that after 16 years he didn't even recognize anymore. And slowly, he started feeling more and more anxious about living in this world. He built, and at one point, he jarred his window shut, started actually putting bars on them because he couldn't sleep at night knowing that somebody could actually get into his room. He hadn't had that in 16 years. He started adding more and more locks to his front door, he didn't know how to grocery shop and feed himself. People had always cooked for him. And so he just ate snacks and he started having them delivered. And at one point, somebody else was cooking for him in this church community that he had become and didn't know how to take care of himself. Do you guys see where I'm going? He had been freed, but he didn't know how to live in his freedom. He went straight back to that jail cell. And that was the life he started living. And man, it took a long time for him to learn how to live in this new freedom. And I think there's some parallels there, right? In a lot of ways, it's like on the day you place your faith in Jesus, you think everything should be fine, your sinful habits, all the things that you have, you've been towing along, should just go away. And the jail cells are open, the shackles are free, and now I'm good. It's just not how... The life of the believer works. It's not. You know, God saves us, but then he sets us on a journey. It's the beginning. It's not the end. Like, if it was the end, you would make a decision for Jesus, and he'd be straight to heaven. So long. It's not how it works. And uh, it's, a, it's a complicated, long process, the life of a believer. It's not easy. It's definitely not easy. And so what we, I just want to close our time together this week just talking about the reality and the truth of the life of a believer. As you walk with Jesus, what does that look like? How does it feel for us? You know, my life was never the same after I met Jesus. Um, I told you a little bit about it, and I'll give you sort of more right now. So I grew up um, single mom, and she eventually remarried, which was amazing, uh, to a really great guy. But, I mean, we grew up dirt, dirt, dirt poor, man. My mom hadn't worked in 27 years. I had a disabled sister. She had one skill, and it didn't pay very much. So, uh, tough neighborhood, tough school. And, man, I grew up with this really hard heart towards what would be called father, 
but I was in sort of a vaguely Christian environment, right? My mom did a great job. She connected me with men in our church. Um, and I'd say that at some point, I would have called myself a Christian. You know, it's just like, yeah, my family is Christian. But as I told you, I didn't live anything like it. Sometimes, you know, I was kind of everybody, all of my friends' favorite, you know, parents' favorite. Like, I, I knew how to look great on the outside. I knew how to present as a healthy Christian young man. But behind closed doors or, you know, with my friends somewhere else or depending what friend group I was with, I was a totally different person. Doing things I shouldn't have with people I shouldn't have been with. And just, like I told you, seeking love and acceptance from anyone and anywhere. And that meant substance abuse. That meant putting all my faith and hope in relationships with women and uh, sort of fill in the gaps, right? Party culture, all these things. So I got to college, right? And I had a partial baseball scholarship to a school I thought was pretty great. And I would have still called myself a Christian, right? Partying with my baseball friends. And it wasn't a big deal. Just what I did, you know, I went to chapel, I went to church sometimes, I prayed sometimes when I needed help on a test. Um, And then I went to chapel at my school and I heard for the first time, so I hadn't, I sure I'd heard the gospel, the one that we talked about last night, many times, but that first time I heard it, my ears actually heard grace. And I realized, oh no, I've never actually believed this, right? I may have known a lot about this. I could answer a lot of questions about the Bible or Jesus or things like that, but I didn't know this Jesus that this man talked about. I didn't know this grace. I was still trying to earn my way into heaven by being nice to people. I still thought of it as like, you know, if at the end of your life and all the good things outweigh the bad, that's what heaven is, right? I didn't know that you couldn't ever do that. And so I gave my life to Christ. And the funny thing is, though, you know, I started making new friends. I started trying to be a good witness to my friends on my team and all these things. And then that summer I went home. And all my party buddies who came back, it was like thick as thieves, back in it. But this weird thing started happening to where we do all these things and then the next day, they were kind of like, oh, man, it's crazy, you know, Jordan, blah, 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 this guy, that guy, that girl. And I, I just didn't feel right about it. I didn't know how to explain it, but I didn't want to do those things anymore for some reason. And, I, you know, but I kept kind of like, well, I don't want to, these are people who love me, right? These are my friends. And so I, I eventually started talking to them. I was like, guys, um, this last year, I... I, I made this commitment to give myself to Christ, and I don't know, and a lot of them went to this Christian school with me, and they're like, yeah, of course, man. Like, we all did that, but later, we'll live that way later. Like, who cares? And I was like, no, I don't think I can live this way anymore. And slowly but surely, I stopped getting invited to things. I stopped hearing from those guys. And to this day, I'm only friends with one person from high school. That's not easy, right? But what was the basis for those friendships? Nothing of substance. It was just things you do, substances you consume, people you're with, reputations. 
And for the sake of Christ, I had to lay those things down and say, look, if they're not willing to accept me for who I am, that's their problem. And that's a hard truth, but that's the life of a believer. I now had a different Lord rather than the opinions of others. And I was trying to work that out in real time. And it was messy, but it was beautiful. I was learning to be less self-centered. And over time, God gave me a new community and his people. And it's been hard, but it's, it was a, it's been a good journey. And so to help us on this journey, Jesus promises us a gift. If you want to open your Bible to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. As you're turning there, I want you to remember that the root of all sin is a desire for autonomy, to do life on your own apart from God, what we have called in the flesh. Anything apart from God is in the flesh, biblically. I think that is on Jesus' mind as he shares these final words in John chapter 14 with his disciples. Verses 16 and 17, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So he's promising, hey, look, I'm gonna leave you with this spirit of truth. And John 14, 18 then says, I will not leave you as orphans. He's like, look, I know you call yourself a part of my family now. And they're, at this point, they don't even understand that he's gonna be actually killed. He, but he's telling them, look, I'm gonna leave you and I'm not gonna leave you alone, destitute. I will come to you. And 26 It says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So he says, I am leaving, but I promise you, I promise you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and he's gonna be with you and bring to your mind all the things I've taught, all the things I've done and be with you in your life. Life in the spirit with God and life in the flesh. He's saying, look, this is now going to be possible. Jesus says it better and he goes because he'll send, it's it's better that he goes because he's gonna send a helper, right? And he'll be with you forever. So physical Jesus, right? If you think about it, it'd be nice if he's in this room right now. It'd be nice. You can ask him a lot of great questions. (laughs) I would. But he was in one place at one time with us in our recorded time in our scriptures. The Holy Spirit is promised that it is everywhere, all at once, with all those who are believers. The Holy Spirit is with us now, right here. In Christ, when we embrace the gospel, this is what happens according to Paul in Ephesians 1. It says, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 say that in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him, the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. When you believed in him, you were sealed and given 
the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your security in Christ, your assurance of your salvation. If you are in Christ, you are fully known, okay? That means all of your bumps, bruises, warts, dark pieces of your heart, things you don't want people to know about, unconfessed sin, mistakes, things that you didn't do intentionally, but you did. You are known to the core. He remembers and knows things about you, things you will do that you will never know. You won't even remember about yourself. 100% to the molecule, he knows who you are. And what's beautiful is he doesn't say, ew, (laughs) away from me, you dirty one. Remember, Jesus died for you while you were yet a sinner. Christ died for the ungodly. Those who cannot save themselves have God who did so for us. And when we believe, we are fully forgiven. All of those things are paid for. Nothing is not paid for. And then you are fully accepted, adopted into the family of God, given a new inheritance. When the Bible says you are in Christ, that is your identity. You are in Christ when you believe in him and you are given all of the inheritance of the son. You are given Christ's inheritance. You are fully accepted, adopted. Uh, Ephesians goes on to describe you as being raised up into the heavenly places with Christ. We are given the spirit And then you can rest assured that every piece of you is fully loved. You are fully known, fully forgiven, fully accepted, and fully loved. You are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. That is good news. That is really good news. He is always with us. When we feel close to him, he is with us. When you feel like you're really rocking it with your faith, when you're being obedient to what God wants for you as a believer, when you're listening to people, wise counsel, weighing it by scripture, when you're really asking questions and answering them in the spirit, he's with you. That's not a hard thing to answer. We all know when we feel like we're engaged in the spirit, when we're in our faith. But when you feel far from him, your feelings don't affect his nearness to you. He is with you even when you feel far. He is walking with you. When we are doing well spiritually, he is with us. When we're struggling, he is with us. You guys, faith in the Bible is not how sure you are about things. We've been talking about a lot of questions this week. A lot of things you can ask. A lot of questions of the Bible, a lot of questions of Jesus. What is truth? All these things, etc. But the Bible's idea of belief is not how positive you are about what you believe. It is simply that you can trust. That you can trust. You guys, I'm a, I'm a deeply doubtful person. I have a really hard time. And it's mostly by experience, right? I've read a lot of books that make great arguments 
for you know, the validity of scripture, how accurate it is, and you know, uh, the, the actual like, historical crucifixion of Christ and his resurrection. I, I went to seminary, all these things. But what causes me the most doubt is experience. See, as a pastor, I sit in the room with people, sometimes students your age, sometimes your families, things like that, and I experience a lot of really deep, deep brokenness, a lot of wounding. And it's really hard for me to hear those things and not be like, God, why? Right? You may have experienced that before. You see brokenness, suffering, things like that. God, why? And he doesn't punish me for that. I just have a hard time with that. I mean, I hear horrific things, and it makes me doubt. Because the core of my faith is the goodness of God. And those are the things that I feel like the enemy presses on in those times. Helps me, makes me actually forget his faithfulness. And in those moments, I have to trust in God's goodness. You see, I don't have a bank, this giant bank of assurance that when, when doubt hits me, it just, okay, I'm just gonna take some deposits and then over time as I read my Bible, it'll fill back up and then, you know, over time it'll come in. That's not, we don't have this transactional relationship with God. What we do have is a loving, trusting relationship and his faithfulness, his goodness. And so I just preach to myself, no matter what my heart feels in the moment, I know that you are good, God. I know you've been good to me in my brokenness and my trauma and my hardship. I run to the character of Christ. I see it written in our scripture, how loving and gracious and truthful he is. And God comforts me. But it doesn't mean he's far. It's just how I feel in the moment. Trusting him is much more achievable than being completely positive in every piece of your faith. I love uh, Mark chapter nine where Jesus has a man bring his son who is uh, deeply disturbed with, uh, they say, a demon, and he's having these fits, these seizures, and he, he asks him if he believes, if he heals him, and he says, Lord, I believe Right? And in that moment, it'd be like, yeah, sweet, amazing faith, your kid is healed. But the next line is so important. He says, help my unbelief. He's honest. It is possible to believe and trust Jesus and still have doubts. That's okay. That's a part of the Christian life. You will experience things throughout your life that are really difficult. And you will have to wrestle with your Savior over why he didn't prevent those things but he's good, he's near, and he wants to do them with you in the assurance of the Holy Spirit. He is not gonna place you outside because you ask hard questions. He wants you to because it means you care. It's a beautiful thing to ask questions of God and to do it with actual desire to know the answers, to do it with actual pursuit of truth. Sometimes people just do it because they think it's fun or they just want to poke holes in things or they use it as an excuse for sin. I've done that in my own life before. I have doubts. Therefore, I'm not going to believe that this is what's best for me, so I'll sin in this way. Man, your doubt should drive you towards Jesus because he wants to walk with you in those things, in the Spirit. So what is the Holy Spirit in the life and follower of Jesus? Not only to rest assurance and doubt, to produce trust, as you walk through hard things. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? The Bible says that literally, 
you, you know, it used to be a temple in Jerusalem where the spirit of God resi resided. And remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross? You guys remember what happened? The veil tore, which means now the presence of God is not confined to that area. It is in the people who believe in Jesus. Paul describes in Ephesians as like all of us being stones to build a temple as God's church. And he resides in and among all of us. He is the cornerstone that we all gauge our truth off of, but that the spirit is now in your heart. I think sometimes when you read your Old Testament and you're like, man, I wish I could see this and that and the parting of the Red Sea. And I think these old guys in your Old Testament would look at you and say, man, the spirit would fall on us, but it would leave. You have the Holy Spirit in you? How incredible. I'd trade all this to have the Holy Spirit in me. I being the temple of the Holy Spirit? That would be mind-blowing to all the heroes of your faith in your Old Testament. It is miraculous, a wonderful thing to not take advantage of because the Spirit does things in us. Like I told you, when I placed my faith in Jesus but I kept living the way I was, I experienced what I would call godly guilt. You know, there's worldly guilt. You just beat yourself up. But there is godly guilt, which is designed to convict us of our sin. Now, a good father does not let his kid do whatever he wants. A good father guides towards abundant life. And the Holy Spirit guides you towards Jesus, convicts you when your way has gotten off. You know, there's, 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 <laughs> there's a lot to be said about things like guilt and shame. And let me tell you, the Holy Spirit will never bring to mind sins of the past that you've confessed given over to Jesus, and make you dwell on those things like you're still that person. That is the enemy making you ineffective in your mission in the kingdom because it would like to bring up these things in the past that you've already been forgiven for, you've already confessed. But what he will do is convince you in those moments where you're walking away, you're living in the flesh, not the spirit, hey, Jesus' way is better. Walk with him. Pursue abundant life even when it's difficult. John 15 tells us, uh, well, Jesus tells his disciple in John 15 what this Holy Spirit is going to help them do in their life as they follow Jesus. And listen to this, guys. This is so important. Verses four and five say, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit, of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Walking with Jesus is just that, a life spent learning how to abide in Christ, how to walk in the spirit. Jesus uses the illustration of a vine because vines produce fruit. I told you guys, I'm from farm town Fresno, right? You, you drive five minutes from my house, I'm in the very center of our city. You drive five minutes from my house and you see grapevines. I had friends at my Christian school growing up who they lived outside the city, went to our school, and they had raisin farms. And I remember uh, be sleeping on, in the uh, room with my buddy Nate Weiss. Family had a, uh, a raisin farm. Have you ever eaten sun-made raisins? right? Uh, the little like red raisin boxes. Those are his family's raisins. They would sell them to Sunday and they'd sell them. 
And there'd be times like 3 a.m., his dad comes in like, it's going to rain. And if you don't know anything about raisins, moisture and raisins aren't good because they're dried out grapes. They would literally pick them, put them on the ground, and just let them dry out. And so we had to run out to the fields and cover all the raisins and all these things. And I'm like, oh, the life of a farmer is really difficult. What he's saying here is when, when we are connected to him, the vine, when we are connected to him, we produce fruit in our lives. There are seasons where you feel distant. And the feeling doesn't indicate the actual closeness of God to you. There are, feelings, there are seasons where you feel close to God. Like I said earlier, the Holy Spirit is always with you if you are in Christ. When we abide in Christ, we produce fruit. And that fruit glorifies God. That fruit glorifies God. Uh, the Westminster Catechism, I don't know, you probably read it a lot, um, but I, I, I always um, attach myself to the first notion that they call it in, in the Westminster Catechism. It says, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So how do we glorify God? Further on, in John 15, 8, it says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Um, so I remember, my, I remember actually trimming these vines in my friend Nate's uh, field with his dad and the workers and things. And trimming vines helps produce more fruit. If you've ever grown anything, you have to prune it because it helps produce more fruit, concentrates in other places. But, and that's painful. Sometimes the life of a believer is painful as things get cut out. But what's cool is the vine dresser is near. He's right there. Jesus is right there with you when you're experiencing the hardest things. He is the vine. God is the vine dresser. They are there with you even in the difficult times. Uh, if you turn to Galatians chapter 5, that's where I'm pretty much going to be for the rest of our time. But Galatians chapter 5, just a little bit further in your New Testament there. It says, but I say, uh, 5.16, but I say, walk in the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Walk assumes an ongoing relationship a thing that you keep doing. My daughter, she's 15 months old. Some of you met her, you may have seen us at mealtimes or walking around, she's super cute. But she can't walk yet, but she loves walking. And the only way she can walk is if I, well, she chooses to walk. She kind of stands on her own, I don't know why, but whatever, right? She'll grab my fingers like this, and then she'll, she just takes off, right? She's like, <laughs> her little toddler tummy's out. And, she and she'll just walk me around the house, all these places, all everywhere. That's what this assumption, this word in your Bible means, to walk. It is to walk with God. That all the while you are with God, he is guiding you through your life, through your walk with him. Even when you don't, you're not sure where you're going or even know how to walk, he'll hold you up. If you stay connected to him, he is the vine. You will produce fruit as you stay connected. Remember, there are two paths, the spirit and the flesh. 
to stay connected to the vine is to live in the spirit. And the flesh is to be pruned. It's an ongoing process. Furthermore, Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit. They're actually at war. And the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. You guys, we all have to decide to embrace the gospel, but you also have to live in the truth of the gospel throughout your life, every day, choosing to embrace it over time. Walking with Jesus is a work of the Spirit in you. In the flesh, we don't think of God or pursue God or walk with God. That is the sort of basics of our faith. It's who we are. And so how do you know which power is at work in your life moment by moment? <laughs> After this, Paul in Galatians 5, 19 to 21, he lists a bunch of sinful things, sins of commission. And then says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. To do such things or to practice or to live like this, it's a present thing. Habitually live this way over and over with your life, spending your life devoted to things that are not of God. Remember, you can't lose your salvation. But sometimes, you know, you, you can't lose what you've never earned. However, you can think you're a believer like I did, and you're not. And here's the danger with going down the hill, guys. Here's the danger. You're gonna go home. And you're gonna be different. You may have made decisions here. And everybody else who's back there is gonna be the same. Every situation, every hardship, every difficulty is gonna all be the same. And you have to decide who you are gonna be. Are you gonna be different? Are you gonna walk in the spirit? When you get reception and start getting the notifications and things, you're gonna be reminded of a lot of people and things and places and stuff that maybe don't seem real right now because you've been here all week, but you need to be mindful of that. Abiding in Christ is the only way to battle the flesh. What we do, we do because of our motivations, because of our hearts. So what about the fruits of the Spirit? Things like you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Gentleness, self-control, against such things there's no law. What do we do when we notice the Spirit giving fruit in our lives? We thank God. And what do we do when we're not producing fruit? You don't have to go, you know, lay anything down somewhere. You just repent and give it to Jesus. Turn around and start walking in the Spirit again. That's the life of a believer. Even that realization of walking in the flesh is the Spirit giving you conviction. Are you guys understanding? This thing is, even your own conviction is that. We, as we embrace the ongoing work of the gospel, he frees us from all these things. And what's cool is over time, as you walk, as you abide, it does at times get easier. You build grooves, like how rivers cut grooves in the surface of the earth. That's what our habits do as we walk in the spirit. That those waters, those living waters, they flow more freely in you. Galatians says, if we live by the spirit, 
Let us walk in step with the Spirit. So how do we walk by the Spirit? What do we do by way of application when you go home? How do you stay connected to the Spirit? Well, first, guys, God has given us a lot of means of grace, what I would call. And the first is you have to get into your word regularly. You have to, this thing he has given you is wholly unique, and it is profitable to walk with you in the spirit in all the things to convict you, to change you, to guide you. This, when you read it, it reads you back and it changes you and it produces life. It is a beautiful thing. Walking in the spirit means regular intake of the sword of the spirit. That is what Paul calls your scripture. Honest prayer is important. Um, I didn't really know how to pray at the beginning of my walk with Jesus. And I had a mentor that told me something really great. I've never forgot it. I do it all the time, every day, actually. Give God what you got. Just give him what you got that day. Imagine the perfect father who just wants to hear from you. Just give him what you got that day. Honest prayer. Not just asking for things, but things that worry you. What's on your mind? What's on your heart? What are you actually dealing with? God might know, but remember, he wants to walk with you, alongside of you. And it's a messy process, life with God, but we all have to do it in community. I would, uh, I would say that every single one of you in this room has access to a good youth group. I met one of the youth pastors who it seems like runs one. Man, please, if you are going to walk in the spirit, it's gonna set you in hard places in your life where people aren't gonna support you. You need the family of God. And I, for the last 10 years, have helped sort of facilitate a community of believers who continue to walk together, even though they go to different schools, live in different homes, places, these places where they come together and their church community are beautiful, supportive things that can help you get, some of, get through some of the hardest things in your life. Let me encourage you, get into a community. Be shaped by your scripture. Pray, allow the spirit to guide you and lean on God's people. I like to call that the, the stool that you need to sit on to walk in the spirit. <laughs> it's three legs. God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. If you do those things, life's not gonna be perfect, but you'll have a guide. You'll have partners to do it with, and Jesus will walk with you. Let me pray. Father, thank you for my time this week with these students. I am so thankful for that. Thank you for the opportunity. I pray, God, for courage as they go home, as life gets real, off the mountain, I pray that it wouldn't be high, it wouldn't be a thing that they leave behind, but God, that you would continue to bring to mind their growth, the things that you've done in them, and that they, Lord, would indeed want to pursue you with everything, walking by your spirit and running from the flesh, loving you every day. We pray this in your name, Jesus.